introduce our speaker for tonight. Yes, you've all guessed it, celebrating 19 years. Hi, everybody. My name is Daryl. I'm anorexic and a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm very grateful to be here. And one thing that I want to say is uh, this meeting, even though it's not in Guadalajara, I listen to, to speakers. And the last two I've listened to have really been great. And uh, what can I what can I say? First of all, um, Overeaters Anonymous saved my life. And the day before I got absent, I can't really tell you what happened because I weighed about 25, 30 pounds less than I weigh now. And I thought I looked good. And I thought I didn't I didn't really think. I don't think I thought much. I think I just starved. You know, it takes up a lot of time. It takes up... There's no time to really think. Um, so, anyhow, what do I want to... What do I want to say? Um, I'm actually feel a little nervous. And one of the things about these tapes that I've been... You know, I've been picking people who got in the program when I did in 1987, around that time, and it's, it's really interesting because I think every, I don't know, in that time, there's like, I don't know if there's generations or what it is, but there's certain things that, that I was taught, you know, and uh, it was about staying absent no matter what, and what I can tell you is I had a sponsor who taught me to stay absent no matter what, and that means that for me, I eat three meals a day now. If you spent the day with me, I actually eat a lot. Um, and uh, I cycle a lot. And I, uh, I'm blessed. I mean, I know I've had three anorexic sponsors who have died. So, um, and one person who I talk to, I talk to on the Internet probably every day and through email, who knows I'm here right now, who knows. And as soon as he knew I was here, he stopped calling. You know, because it's, it's, who really wants to get better? You know, in the first step, it talks about um, who really, I don't know exactly the, the words in the A, 12 and 12, but it talks about who really wants to, to do this, unless it's about saving my own life. And, and uh, you know, I had to be willing to go to any lengths. And that willingness came despite myself. I was someone who, as I was sitting in hospitals after hospitals, two hospitals, one of them brought in OA panels, and I hated that. And uh, I, I did. I just, it's like the person who's not here right now. You know, it's, I didn't want to hear the message because I didn't want to get better. I was comfortable being miserable. And, uh, but the seed, the gift of this program is, is the seed was planted. And, and I, the language is very different here. You know, get a sponsor. I shared this. I shared here three years ago. I remember, I shared this. I asked my stepmother to be my sponsor, and she wasn't in the program. And then I, and she said no, you know. And then I asked my boss, and she wasn't in the program either. I didn't know the person had to be in the program. <laughs> Unless, how am I supposed to know? I just guessed. You know, I guess wrong, but I guessed. And uh, thank God they both said no. And then I got a sponsor in the program who uh, really, really, to this day, um, I'm very grateful. And 
we worked on on food. I remember she said, go to the meeting and share about food. That's why you're there. You know, there's lots to talk about. I mean, I'm here about, I mean, now I'm absent. I see that I've got a lot more stuff. It's not about food, but if I'm starving, if I'm afraid, if I feel fat, it's not about my mother that day. You know, it's about, I feel, it's about the food. I mean, I'm coming to Overeaters Anonymous. And um, so, anyhow, uh, what else, what else can I tell you? My life pretty much was, I think, very hard. And I lived with my mom. My parents divorced when I was seven. I lived with my mom. And I slept with my mom until I was 16. There was sexual abuse with my mom and my dad. And, uh, you know, which, which affected me and which affects me. And, um, what else? Many things. My brother died of a heroin overdose in the backyard and then he wasn't found for five days and the gardener found him. And, um, my brother Stan. And many things, many things. But I think that was the kicker when my brother died that my dad gave me value that day. You know, because I guess that that's what my family did. You know, there was a feeling and there was value. And, uh, well, it wasn't just a feeling. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I feel sad. I mean, somebody died. So I think that my dad just did what he needed to do. And, uh, so... As I really learned not to feel that, when I got absent, I felt that. And I miss him. You know, he was great. And, and people, who have, people who have died are, from this disease, I mean, inside or outside the program, human beings are fabulous. And uh, so this disease took my brother. And um, I never understood. I just, I remember, remember I thought, why didn't he talk to me? Why did he kill Why didn't he talk to me? And no human power could have relieved this obsession. No human power. I couldn't have helped my brother. Um, but it's very interesting. No human power, but for me, where tomorrow God is. And when this woman who helped me had the experience of someone who had helped her, she carried this message, this language, this this love, this unconditional love that I searched in my mother's bed. You know, I searched for it. It wasn't there. Um, I, I also, you know, one of the things is I repeated patterns, not because I was bad, but because it's what I knew. And I had a few, I had a tennis coach who abused me sexually. I had a uh, 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 what was he? He was a, ay, 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 what was he? He was a co-worker, um, working at a restaurant, and he too, you know, I mean, I, I looked, I just took whatever I could get, and, uh, and sometimes I still struggle with that, but, um, there's a certain sense of integrity that comes with abstinence, and what I can say in the beginning of my abstinence is, um, all I did was I worked on, on the food. We didn't talk about many feelings in the beginning, you know. And uh, and what a day before, what I was eating before before I got to, to the program was um, a bran muffin. This is how old I am. I'm going to be 40. I'm gonna, this is 
Taliban. I would watch Happy Days in the Furniture League. I don't know if any of you remember that, but um, an hour it took me to eat this bran muffin. An hour with these little bite-sized things. And uh, bite-sized because it's all I was going to give myself. And so I needed to laugh. And I was freezing. And I, I was freezing. I was freezing so I would have coffee. And, uh, you know, the gift now is the only thing that, that really stayed with me. I've gotten, all, I've gotten my health back. You know, um, but the thing that, that saves me is when I'm cold, like I'm anemic, so I get cold very fast, and uh, my circulation's not too good. Um, so that that I did that. I had um, top ramen with Weight Watchers non-fat yogurt, and my sponsor's great to say, Daryl. She was from New York. Daryl, she'd say, um, the person needs to eat the, you're, you don't need to eat the non-fat. You know, I would take the grease off my pizza. She'd say the 300 pounders would take the grease off their pizza, not you. You know, I went to the store. She said, you're going to go to the store. Instead of non-fat milk, I, I bought low-fat and I mixed them. You know, have this and something else. I mean, it was so sweet. If, I pray that everybody has somebody that conscious and that caring to, because that's what I needed. And this woman invited me to her house. I mean, invite, don't go to your family's home in my house. She helped me. I separated from my family for a while, because when I separated from my family, I got abstinent. I must say, I don't know if that makes any sense to people, but a lot of my my rage and my resentment and, and the stuff that started to come up, I called her for about 60 days. With my phone, I remember she said to me, you don't need to call me anymore with your food. I thought, oh my God, she doesn't love me anymore. Oh my God, she doesn't want to talk to me. Oh my God. And then I had to talk about others. We talked about food, obviously. And, uh, but as the feelings came up, um, what can I say? I was angry. I was scared. Um, in my, she taught me about a, in the second step about a, and that first step for me was all about listening to somebody else. One of the things, I have a sponsee, the only other person in the program where I am, um, Letty. She would drop dead for this meeting right now. Um, the nice thing is she speaks English, so we um, listen to the tapes together. I've given her some tapes. And, um, but she, oh, I forget what I was going to say. Um. I forget what I was going to say. I don't know. But, uh, anyhow. <laughs> um, what can I tell you? Um, I got abstinent. And, and, and then I got very involved in the program. I didn't get involved because someone said get involved. My sponsor told me get to a meeting every day. Call me, call somebody else, get to a meeting and stay absent. And everything else is a bonus, honey. That's what she would say. And by interested shared every meeting, and by sharing every meeting, I got to know people. And one of the little, I just want to share a little miracle gift before I forget. I was at, I live in Guadalajara. It's a big city in Mexico, but it's in Mexico. And um, I was, I was teaching a family who's from here, who I was teaching their daughter, and the mom was there. They're very soon. I'm actually going to see them uh, on Tuesday. She said. One week my daughter's going to come. The next week I'm going to come with my mom. The next week I have friends coming. And I thought, this is the, I walked into work on Monday morning. I said, this is the week that's her, 
walked in the room and I and I said, the classroom and I said, you're Renee's friends, right? And she's, I know you. And she says, yeah, you're dearly. I know you from Overeaters Anonymous. I'm Annette. I haven't seen you in 15 years. And that is, that was, they're like the little gifts. And she was the third person in our meeting that night. So that was nice. You know, that was more a gift for me than it was for her. And we got to hang out a couple days. And um, So, anyway, through my absence, through the time, um, that sponsor um, moved. And I got another sponsor. And I had a bunch, I've had a bunch of sponsors. I've had sponsors. The person who's helping me now is who's my sponsor. She was my sponsor, my second or third sponsor. And um, so that's 19 years later, so she knows me. And, uh, but... All these people that I have had, the second, no, I don't know, I don't know if anyone remembers E.G., little, small E.G., who was, um, she was great, raspy voice, like, very much intimidated me. We had a Wednesday night anorexic bulimic meeting at the federal building, 17 floors up. Do you know how many anorexics ran up those stairs? (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't one of them, but there was a bunch, and, uh, it was a very, um, important meeting for a lot of them, a lot of us. And uh, anyhow, um, that was me. I got my first sponsor, but E.G. became my sponsor, and I did my first four-step with her. And when I had six months, she said, now it's time to do your four-step. You've got six months. I mean, you've got a month. You've got a month to do it. And she did this great thing. She said, the four-step is you're going to write down your resentments, your fears against, you know, your secrets, deals, lying, all that stuff. And so it's like a chalkboard, and you've got all these white spots on it, white specks. And when you do your four-step, you're going to clear, it's like an erase, you're going to clear away all these white specks. You're going to have a clear chalkboard. And that was very important. And she said, go to me, and I read it to her, read it to her in her car, and um, a bunch of things like that. And then E.G. was my sponsor. And then I had another one. I did another inventory. And I did another inventory. And I always share this. I had 106 resentments towards my mom. Just my mom. So, I mean, I'm starving. And I'm starving more and more and more because I'm having more and more resentments. I'm having more and more fear. And I can't take it. So I have to, I have to starve. I have to. And then when I didn't want to starve, and the people who love me, like my grandma and my mom, who didn't understand, my granny would say, just eat, Mama. Just eat. I will. I will, Granny. I will. And I went and did the same thing. I went and did the same. I quit. Um, I would walk into a malt shop and think I drank the malt. I could get full by just walking into the malt shop. And uh, I would go next to it. I would tell my boss, I drank it. It was good. Because I was so afraid of being found out. But the disease is found out. It's found out. It's very, it's, it's there from, you know, 90 pounds. I don't look good. 97 pounds. I didn't look good. And um, so um, I was in a locked ward. They took the keys away from my car. You know, I couldn't drive. I went in this locked ward, and I was doing sit-ups at 3 o'clock in the morning on the floor where they were flashing a flashlight on me, and I'm just stretching, and it's all okay, and and I got out of there and I got worse because I just want to go back to the gym. And um, so a little bit, I just want to fast forward here. I have till 6.20. Okay. Um, I think what I want to share a little bit about is, is what's happening. I mean, the core work keeps happening. 
I just, um, what I had to do after I got abstinence, I had to learn how to live with being abstinent. I remember was, my sponsor would say, you need to go eat with somebody every week. You need to go eat with someone or have somebody at your house. And I remember, I was so afraid. What do I do? What am I going to go to the bathroom? Where do I put the fork? What do I say? How do I look? And they were just going to the bathroom, you know. But I, I was so afraid. So it was easier to stay at home. It was easier to isolate. I went to bed at 7. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't answer the phone. And, um, and it's a disease that affects a lot of people around me. It was very sad to watch. I, and the resentment at my mother was awful. I, I had such anger that I would go home. You know, my mother was a person who... Um, wouldn't open the door for me. I'd, I'd come home and, and she'd unlock it and then she'd leave. She'd never open and say hello. So I had a resentment. And uh, so one day I opened that door and I, boom, and I broke the picture. You know. And then another day was my birthday and I asked her if I could, um, if she would lend me her car for my driving test. No. And I smashed that motherfucker. You know, I, boom. And, uh, she bought it for my birthday, but it didn't matter. And she said something to me, like, I think she said, you didn't eat, did you? I said, I did, you're losing me. I said, no, I didn't. I took the phone and I threw it. And um, my sponsor would call that the anorexic rage. And uh, thank you, God, I don't do that anymore. Um, so needless to say, a lot of work had to be done with my mom. A lot of work had to be done with me. A lot of work had to be done with a lot of people around me. And um, my mom, I didn't spend a lot of time with her. And um, a lot of you know, my mom died almost six years ago. And she had Alzheimer's. She had um, Pick's disease, Alzheimer's, which, you know, basically she's going to become a vegetable. And um, it was very... I worked a lot on my mom, and I made amends, and she, we were okay. I mean, what I can share with you is we were okay in the eyes of, of me, in my soul, and her soul, and in the soul, I think, of Overeaters Anonymous, in the world outside where it looked like, why wasn't I there every day taking care of her? It didn't look so good. But I think what I have to know is Overeaters Anonymous has taught me that there's a way that I need to take care of myself, not so much take care of myself, but it's a way to... I think I would, the less time I spend with her, the better off we both were. I think that that's it. I think it wasn't... There's a thing I was talking to, to a sponsee the other day, uh, and no sponsee, you know, is we're talking about people taking care of themselves. And sometimes in over I can take care of myself so much that I can hurt another human being. Sorry, I can't take you home. I have to, like, go do something for me. Sorry, I, can't, I have to do this. No, I can't talk to you. Can you talk? I have to, no, I can't, I can't, I have to, remember once my sister said to me, just because you're in that program doesn't mean everything's okay. And, um, you know, I turn my whole life over to God, and, uh, and I get what I get, and, um, but, so I have to really be careful. Mexico's taught me a lot about being loving, and, because they have no schedule. <laughs> so, I can tell somebody to hang on a sec, because I'm, I mean, meeting starts, I mean, if I'm not here, someone else is going to speak, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm the one who loses. I mean, there's a certain discipline, but, um, I don't know, where was I going from there? Uh, anyhow, um, my mom died. It was very hard. It was very sad. Um, the last thing that she said to me, 
had um, had her tie her gun on her cheek. So they cut off, they cut her cheek off, and they sewed, I think, the muscles from, the skin from her leg and the, the muscles from her back or the other way around on her face. She had a trach. So my mom had this tick disease, so she was out of it, but she wasn't out of it enough to know what had happened. So she never left the house anymore, and it was very sad. And um, and I was able to go with her and take her to, to take her on walks. And, I mean, it was okay. It was it, the best time I had with my mom was when she was in her coma. Now that's a great share, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's true. She probably had a better time with me in her coma too. I mean, living with me wasn't a joy. wasn't You know, wasn't that wonderful either. I mean, living with an anorexic, a practicing anorexic, is you should get paid. <laughs> and uh, it's very hard watching somebody die. I was dying at her. I was dying at my mom. So I'm very blessed that the program taught me about amends and about nine step and and uh, you know there's a lot of things I heard like the best you know nine step I can you know making amends to myself is to stay abstinent. That's the best loving thing, most loving thing I can do to myself because the most awful thing I did to myself was nearly kill myself. And um, so my mom died. And uh, through this time, I just want to share that. I liked guys, and then I had a girlfriend, and then we got married, and uh, we were together nine years. And the last time I shared at this meeting, three years ago, we were having problems, and we're not together anymore. And uh, it's a little strange, but it's okay. It's okay. And uh, But my mom, I remember, my mom said, you know, I love you, and it's okay. And my dad, you know, always invited my partner Beverly everywhere. And so I'm blessed in that way. I mean, I, I'm not a very simple character. I, I have a lot of stuff, but I think that makes me me, and I really love that about me, that I'm not A to Z straight line. It would be kind of boring, you know? So, anyhow, the people around me, the friends I have now are very caring, very loving, and um, accept me for, I think my work is to accept me more. And... Um, so anyhow, as this is this is ending, one of the things that happened when my mom died was um, I stopped my. We had a, a problem with money, with the money, the estate, and my dad. I got a lawyer, and that kind of ruined everything. And I stopped talking to my mom, to my dad and my sister. And my dad said some really awful things, and um, he sent back all my what elementary school ribbons from playing handball and all that kind of stuff. And I don't have a daughter anymore. I don't need you. I don't want you. And if I die, don't come to my funeral. I'll come to the hospital. I have two. I don't have, I had three kids. Now I have one. I lost one to, what do you say? I can't believe all this stuff is coming back. It's interesting what comes back, isn't it? Um, I lost one to heroin overdose and the other one to lack of consideration for my feelings. Now, if anybody knows me, I'm not like that. But my dad didn't really know me like you guys know me because no other, no other human being knows me like a compulsive overeater knows me. And um, so, anyhow, what I can share with you today is when I moved to Mexico, my dad had no idea. 
he had no idea I was out of the country. And he had called my lawyer for something, and she said I was living in South America. <laughs> I don't even know where South America is. But, um, so, anyhow, but and then I had another partner who's still in my life now, who's, it's another adventure that I'm walking through. But we had separated, and I was a mess. And my partner's best friend, Sulema, Sulema was staying with me because she didn't want to leave me by myself in my house because I was a mess. Abandonment, I don't do well with anybody leaving. Just going to the airport, I cry. I didn't even leave the country. I just go into the airport. I was a mess. I hug my dogs and I just... It's just who I am. It just rips me. It just rips me. And um, so anyhow, I... She said, you need to call your family. I said, no, my dad doesn't want to talk to me. He says, write him. And I wrote him, and four days later, he called me in Mexico. And since then, which is a year and something, we're doing really well. You know, he picked me up from the airport. Um, we're going to have lunch tomorrow. He's just sweet, and he's so sweet. He knew I, I, He knows all about my problems with my relationship. And he said, the other day he said, well, I hope it works out. And I remember when he said, well, are you dating a man or a woman now? <laughs> Or is it the... 
it's the it's the recovery. You know, being a woman, men and boys have flat. No, I'm never gonna have never, but have flat stomachs. And I always want. I wore my pants. I have a hard time putting. You know, these pants they fit me are very uncomfortable. You know, I'm so. They're not so uncomfortable. I mean, I know that I feel I feel good. I feel like I don't want to be a little boy anymore. You know, there's a price to pay to be a little boy. I miss out on intimacy. I miss out on being a woman. I miss out on a lot of things. But that's still my process, and it's it's still um, I really wish that um, you know. I was talking to somebody. He said, "I'm going to be 40." He says, "Well, you don't look more. You don't look much past 30." I thank you. But um, there's also immaturity to being anorexic. You know, I mean, I think I'll be anorexic to my core. And uh, I'm grateful I look young. I mean, don't get, I don't want to look 60 at 40. I mean, I don't want anyone who's 60. I apologize. But but there is an immaturity. There's a youngness. And I don't know if I'll ever look my age. I pray that I, I act my age. And um, and so, for me, Overeaters Anonymous has saved my life, has given me a life. I wish there was more meetings in Guadalajara. I've shared with people, there is a group that meets every day, but for me, I started going, and I, I have one meeting a week that I started with this woman, Letty, who's just, who's just very sweet. And um, But the other meetings are every day, but they're about two hours long with six people. They last, you know, you can share whatever you want for half an hour. And I would feel worse after because I had, that's all. And I think, again, it's better if I don't go because the way I looked was not pleasing to many people. My energy, angry, is not pleasant. So one of the, and the other thing, character defects, I'm silent, withholding. I don't say how I feel like my dad, you know, but my dad's another program I do, so I've got work to do. So basically, I'm very blessed to be here. I'm very grateful for 19 years. Um, I don't know where I'm going to be, where I'm going to end up. I always come back here thinking I'm going to come back here. I don't know. I love Spanish. I love the language. I think it's a beautiful language. I love the people. It's it's a group of people that, you know, like I think it's like meeting people. We're just different, just loving. And uh, and there's people who aren't in the program, who aren't in Mexico, who are loving too. I can't even say that. Everybody's, not everybody's loving, but a lot of people are just loving Anyhow, thank you very much for letting me share. Questions? Are there questions? Anybody have a question? Walter. You're welcome. You're welcome. Step 11. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. How do I, how do I work on step 11? Set the prayer meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. Um, basically, what I do every morning... What I've done for 19 years is I get on my knees, I say the first three, I say the serenity prayer, and I say it in Spanish. It's quite fun. And then I say the first three steps, and then um, I say the seven-step prayer, the third-step prayer, the seven-step prayer, and I pray for whatever. And and sitting still, Walter, has never been a, an easy one for me. And um, sometimes I'm able to sit still or I write. Sometimes I get to God by writing. And um, I, you know, Sutter 
prayer. The prayer I got, the meditation, I, I don't do that much. I do sit. And when I sit, I think, well, what is this? <laughs> but there is a... I was sitting here and I was sitting in Santa Monica and looking at the beach and thinking, as I have a lot of turmoil in my life today about this relationship and lots of things, I thought, when I was six months abstinent, I don't know if anyone remembers Ellen. I don't know if anyone was around. She died. She was someone who was in the program for a long, long time. And I had quit a job. I was really depressed. I wasn't working. My sponsor said, come to my work. I said no, and I hung up the phone. And then Ellen called me. She says, meet me at the beach. I sat with her on the beach. I don't know what happened, but that saved me. That helped me. And so my my 11th step is really that. It's my conscious contact with God that I know my life is... I, I don't even say my life is better with it because I don't try it without it. It's just what I do. So. Yes? Um, when you're in recovery, is ever an anorexic mind coming back and attacking? Uh-huh. Now that I'm... Well, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Does my anorexic disease come back after all this? Not being looking in the mirror and seeing somebody who's fat, I, for the, 
can't say percentage. It's like a day at a time. Most of the time, yeah, most of the time I can see I'm okay. I can see I'm, I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm not fat. Um, but there are days where I can't see myself, where I get uncomfortable, where I get uncomfortable in my pants, or, or I can look in the mirror and go, I'm fat. Still. But I know now that when I'm fat, I'm having a feeling. Before I got into the program, I just said I was fat. Because I didn't have anybody to tell me I was having a feeling because I, I shoved everybody out of my life so no one could tell me. You're not answering the phone. There's no one left to talk to me. So I did that. So great question. Um, for the most part, I, I, I see a healthy woman, but I also am distorted. And so some days, no. And I need people to help me. Uh huh. For me, my, what does not abstinent mean for me? Um, that would mean that I eat two meals. Boom. If I eat two meals and a carrot, boom. I have to have three meals, and they can't all be carrots. They can't all be water. They can't all be juicy carrots. You know, I know what I know. Yeah, I know what the meals are. I know the great gift is I know if I'm absent, I know if I'm not. And uh, I pray to never know that I'm not. That's my. I come from the anorexic side, so that's it. If I don't eat three meals a day, I'm. I'm in a month. I'm dead. They give me a month. Quick, can I have a quick one?